What can we learn from hairy-chested crabs? How well did the media cover COVID-19? And what exactly is the language of science? The answers to all those questions and more are coming up today on Follow Friday with Rose Eveleth. Today is a good day to meet some new friends. Everyone make a way. The show is a buffet. Of folks you should know. Let's have a swirl. Well, that's enough for a place. I'm Eric Johnson. Welcome to Follow Friday, a podcast about who you should follow online. Every week, I talk to writers, podcasters, comedians, and other creators about who they follow. They will be our guides to the best people on the internet who we should be following, too. To get new episodes of Follow Friday every week, please follow or subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app. Today on the show is Rose Eveleth, the host of Flash Forward, which is a podcast I have recommended to so many friends over the years, dozens and dozens, now hundreds more. On each episode, Rose examines a future scenario like smart cities, robot teachers, or what would happen if we killed all the mosquitoes. And her trips into the future sometimes take some really unexpected, fascinating turns. So, for example, on a recent episode uh, called Can You Mine an Asteroid?, It's not just about the science of it all. Rose also talks about the potential of labor unions in space. Here's a clip of that. So can you unionize in space? The answer is maybe, but also maybe not, because your employer will control not just your workspace, but also your lifelines, your air supply, your meals, your connections back to Earth. And if your employer is, just to pick a random example, Amazon, well, they are probably not going to want you to unionize. And in fact, there are other questions, too, about what happens if you, say, want to come back down from space. You can and should find Flash Forward wherever you listen to podcasts. Rose, welcome to Follow Friday. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, so nice to finally meet you. I've been listening for years. And I think you recently passed your six-year anniversary of the show. Does that sound right? Yes, yes. We did a big celebration last year for five. And then this year, it just like slipped right on by and I forgot (laughs) to do anything. Time means nothing anymore. Yeah. (laughs) You see, you start every episode of Flash Forward with a little fictional sketch illustrating the hypothetical world you're going to be talking about. Which one of those was the most fun to make? Ooh, that is a good question. I love them all. That's where I get to have like extra fun on the episode. So I always try to do something where I'm like, oh, I've never done something like this before. So actually the one that just truly moments before we got on the phone, I pushed publish on today's episode of the show, um, (laughs) which is why I was five minutes late (laughs) to our call. Um, And today's is actually uh, written by our producer, Julia Linus Goodman, and it was it is a um, sitcom about living underground. And we actually commissioned Ooh. an original song, like original theme song about living underground from an amazing podcast called Song Salad, where they do these like remixes of songs and, and sort of original songs based on different topics. And I asked them to make a yeah theme song for a sitcom about living underground. And they delivered it is I laugh. I laugh every time. It's like so corny and so funny to me. So that was a really fun one. 
I had to restrain myself from reaching to go grab my phone and download that right now, but I'm preoccupied. <laughs> <laughs> I will listen to that right after this. But let's find out who Rose follows. You can follow along with her recommendations today. Every person she recommends will be linked in the show notes and in the transcript at followfridaypodcast.com. It's Final Friday. So, Rose, before the show, I gave you a list of categories. I asked you to tell me four people you follow who fit in those categories. And your first pick is in the category, someone you don't know but want to be your friend. You said Sabrina Imbler, who is on Twitter at AZNFusion. They are a former writer for the travel site Atlas Obscura and several other outlets. They're working on a collection of essays about underwater sea creatures called How Far the Light Reaches, which is due out next year. So talk about Sabrina's work and how you discovered them originally. Yeah. You know how like there are some people who when you read their work, you're like, God, I would never have thought of that. Or like just turns a phrase even where you're like kind of like mad because they're so good. You know, (laughs) I feel that way every time I read something that Sabrina writes, like it's just always really thoughtful and weird and just it hits like all of my buttons. Um, I think we have similar interests. Like I am also obsessed with like weird ocean creatures and just like (laughs) nudibranchs and all of that stuff. And I just find their work so lovely to read. And they're just such a good writer and a like interesting thinker. I don't remember how I I'm sure I was just reading Atlas Obscura and was like, wow, the same person writes all of my favorite articles (laughs) on this website. I should like go follow them and see what they're up to. And they're just, I just like find their work so good. And we've never like met, I, we don't really know each other, but I am, I'm a fan on the internet and uh, I love their work and I'm so stoked for their book. So yeah. Yeah, the, the book, How Far the Light Reaches, it's based on a column that used to write for Catapult magazine, which I hadn't heard of, uh, but it was a column called My Life in Sea Creatures. I remember you did an episode a couple years ago, flash forward, about Sea Lab, right, about underwater research. But have you ever done anything on the show about sea creatures, about undersea life? Oh, not quite. They come up here and there because it is an obsession of mine. So we did the episode about living underwater. um, And then on the episode last year about a future in which we meet alien life in some ways, we talked about this purple orb that a submarine found that at the time they were like, what is this? And it looks like (laughs) an alien. Turns out it is not an alien. But I got very obsessed with the purple orb at the time. And so I talked about it on the episode because it's a good allegory for like, if it was an alien, what would we want to do with it? Would we just like immediately suck it up and bring it to the surface and kill it? Like that doesn't seem like the right choice to make. Um, And so I've talked about the purple orb on that episode. And every so often I will talk about it. I talk about it in my life a lot. I'm obsessed with the purple orb. Um, (laughs) And uh, so that's one I feel like we should do. We should do another underwater episode because it is my my first love is underwater creatures yeah yeah i mean underwater creatures to me at least they are scarier than aliens i think because i mean we are they're already here they're freaky as hell we don't understand 90 percent of them i don't know that that to me feels a lot a lot more of a real like it it feels a lot more real to me than than aliens do (laughs) yeah well i originally wanted to be a marine biologist before i became a journalist yes so i like got scuba certified when i was 12 i was like very into it um so i have done a lot of scuba diving and i'm like very invested in like what's going on down there and and being interested in it i would live underground or underwater in a heartbeat it would be so fun. Um, so yes, I I love a good I love a good underwater creature. 
And yeah, like there are, so I have a, I have a big tattoo of an anglerfish. So. <laughs> so Sabrina's original column for Catapult, it was called My Life in Sea Creatures, and it explored the way their life as a queer immigrant compared to octopuses, jellyfish, other sea life. Uh, my favorite of the ones that I read before this taping is called How the Hairy-Chested Yeti Crab Taught Me to Survive Trump's America, which all-time headline, by the way. Just like, even if the essay weren't good, and it is, even if the essay weren't good, though, that's still amazing. Um, Have you read any of the entries in this column? Do you have a favorite of your own? Ooh, do I have a favorite? I do love that one. I do love that one. Um, Man, I'm trying to remember. That is a very good one, not just for the headline, because it is like beautifully written it like delivers on like being funny but also deep and like cutting in certain places where it just like I think that a lot of the reason I love Sabrina's work is they're so good at like hitting a lot of different notes but without it feeling like the piece is all over the place like there are jokes and then there's also just like deep emotional resonance like in there um and it's it's just a very impressive because I feel like I'm either like all jokes or all dire. And like, there's no <laughs> if you were friends with Sabrina, what would you want to talk about with them? I mean, obviously, you have a shared interest in marine biology. Right. But uh, what would you want to do together? I feel like tide pooling would be an obvious choice to like hang out and go look at weird squishy things in small pools on the beach. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I feel like that would be very fun. Like, yeah, I feel like any kind of nature walk, I feel like just being able to like point at something and be like, look at that over there. uh, It would be, would be very fun. You're in private expert to explain whatever the hell it is you're seeing. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Well, that was Sabrina Imbler, who's on Twitter at AZN Fusion. It's Final Friday. Let's move on to your next follow. Rose, I asked you for someone who makes you laugh, and you said Rahawa Haile, who's on Twitter at Rahawa Haile, which is spelled R-A-H-A-W-A-H-A-I-L-E. She has a book coming out later this year called In Open Country, and if her name sounds familiar, it may be because you read something that she wrote a few years ago that went viral. We will get to that in a minute. But first, uh, Rose, I want you to talk about why she makes you laugh. In your email that you sent to me, you said that she sends you TikToks. Is she (laughs) private TikToks delivery service? Yes, exactly. For the longest time, I only used TikTok on a burner phone because I didn't, like, there's, like, a lot of security issues with Mm -hmm. TikTok, and it's not the best in terms of giving up all your data. But I do love it. TikTok. I love a good TikTok. And so uh, Rahawa would and still does. And now I'm now I have TikTok on my main phone because I I succumbed to not wanting to have to grab my burner phone every time I want to watch a TikTok. Um, Yeah. So we will trade funny TikToks. And it is just like a nice, like shared language of being able to say, like, I don't really want to like talk about why I'm stressed out right now. So I'm just going to send you a bunch of like animals set to music right? like, on TikTok. <laughs> and she always finds the best. She always finds the best ones. Mine are like subpar. I don't know her like her algorithm is trained to like find the perfect ones. Um, so, yes, she's she's great. And also just like an incredible writer. And um, I'm super excited for her book as well. So it sounds like you, you know each other in real life. Yes. Yes. We are. We are real life friends. Yeah. So how did you meet? Like what, what's your how did this start? I think we met many years ago. We were both living in New York City, and I believe we met through a writer named Tim Carmody, who sort of was a big connector of people at one point and probably still is. Um, I know that he's um, been sort of like in and out of writing the writing world back when like 
it was new to have like a Slack with people that like not for work, you know, like where you would like join a Slack. Um, there was a little Slack, uh, a writer Slack. And I believe that is how we met. I'm trying to remember. It was many years ago now, um, but I think that was it. I, so you met many years ago. Have you two, you know, helped each other with your respective journalistic careers over, over the time, like as a result of that that friendship? Not that, you know, funny TikToks don't help, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like being a freelancer is hard and like having emotional support in the like and also someone who like understands what that life is like and sort of like what it's like to be a freelancer is really helpful professionally. Um, also, just like having someone to like vent to like she's one of my mm-hmm. dearest friends and uh, having somebody to like vent to sometimes when I just need to like yell into the void, uh, except for not into the void, (laughs) into my like text. Um, But yes, we now actually both live in the Bay Area. So we see each other, you know, once a week or so and get to hang out. So that's wonderful. Well, the thing that Rahawa is currently best known for is a piece that she wrote for Outside Magazine called Going It Alone. It's about solo hiking the Appalachian Trail from Maine to Georgia, uh, or sorry, from Georgia to Maine in the summer of 2016. I'm going to link it in the transcript. It is one of the best things I've read in the past decade. And Rahawa's upcoming book is also about the Appalachian Trail. Has she shared any of the book with you? Have you gotten the inside lane on this? I. It's funny. Rahawa is very protective of her pages. So I have not read any of the book, but I know a lot about it, right? I know what is in it. Um, and it's going to be, it's going to be incredible. Um, I'm already preemptively so proud of her for writing it um and it's just it's just gonna be great like I the world is not ready for just how good it's gonna be so I am so excited for it to be out in the world and for people to like get to see it it's gonna be amazing and it threads so many needles around like the hike itself but also about borders and movement and all the things that that original piece did but just like in a, in a full, like fully fleshed out form. So I'm, I'm so excited for people to be able to hear it. Have you ever done anything like that? Hiking the Appalachian trail? No, (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, I, I actually have done a lot of camping, like short-term camping, um, like week trips, but nothing, I mean, nothing close to what the Appalachian trail is like. Yeah, because, I mean, for her, what a lot of the piece is about is she did this in the summer of 2016 at a time when it was especially fraught to be a person of color in America, just politically bitter and charged time. Um, And so it's really about, you know, who is allowed in nature and how do people see you? How do they talk to you? I mean, it's just, you know, speaking just as a a white person who doesn't get out enough, you know, it's eye-opening on multiple levels. So uh, I I really thought it was just an incredible piece. Make sure to read that. That was Rahawa Haile, who's on Twitter at Rahawa Haile. We're going to take a quick break now, but we'll be back in a minute with Rose Eveleth from Flash Forward. Today's show is brought to you by Captivate. There are plenty of good reasons to start a podcast. Making a community, sharing your ideas, or just trying something new creatively. And when you start your podcast, you should work with Captivate. They have a ton of free resources, including a start a podcast guide and a video course with more than five hours of expert coaching. I use Captivate to host Follow Friday, and I love it. It is easy to use. You can make unlimited podcasts for one low monthly fee. And with a single click, you can distribute your podcast or podcasts to all major directories and apps. So check them out at captivate.fm slash follow Friday. 
When you use that URL, you'll get a one-month free trial instead of the usual one week. That's Captivate.fm slash Follow Friday. It's Follow Friday. Welcome back to Follow Friday. Rose, I asked you for someone who inspires you, and you said Ed Young, who's on Twitter at edyoung209. He's a science writer at The Atlantic, and if there's any justice in this world, I think a future winner of the Pulitzer Prize. That's just my two cents. Agreed. <laughs> Explain what Ed writes about and why he inspires you. Yeah, well, Ed normally writes about animals and the natural world and evolution, and he wrote this amazing book called I Contain Multitudes uh, about microbes and the microbiome. And then during the pandemic, when the pandemic really ramped up, uh, he was actually on book leave to write a, diff- a book about animals <laughs> and about like animal perception. And he came out of book leave to work at The Atlantic to cover the pandemic and has been really like kind of in my opinion, the guiding light journalistically on just like helping people understand the big picture questions of the pandemic. So not as much the day to day, like this variant, that variant, this, that, what, but more like what is going on here? What is this doing to us as a society? Right. And, and he's just so good at synthesizing so many storylines together and kind of like making you feel like, okay, This doesn't like make sense in the sense that like it is chaotic and it is the world is confusing, but at least I kind of understand like how we got here and what happened in a way that I I just think he's so good at that. And he's so thoughtful and compassionate and like really thinks hard about how to how to write these things um, and takes his role, I think, very, very seriously um, and does a lot of thinking about how to cover the pandemic in a way that is useful and like helpful as opposed to kind of like panic mill stuff, which it's hard to avoid when you're trying to cover day-to-day news, right? Like I don't think anyone is intentionally doing that kind of work, but yeah, I just think, I just find his work like incredibly inspiring. Yeah. So on a previous episode of this show, I was talking to Devendra Hardwar about Zainab Tufekci, who was his guiding light, you know, during the pandemic, similar thing, another journalist way ahead of the pack on COVID. And so uh, I'm wondering, just as a science communicator yourself, you know, someone who's really surrounded by people who are talking about about all sorts of things, you know, how do you think the media overall handled the past 15 months? Like, how, how would you how would you grade the way we were, you know, talking about uh, talking about COVID and talking about the the health and the science of, of, of it all? It's a hard question. Yeah. I think that. There's a couple of ways to answer it. There's the like public facing how how good did you know, science journalists do at explaining things to the public. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the question of like, how good of a job did journalism do at like taking care of its own journalists, which was terrible F, right. <laughs> you know, on that one. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, communicating to the public, like it's really hard, I think, to make a blanket statement about like journalism these days, sure. right? Like media, right? Like the media, right? That's of, not one thing. Right? And I think it's it's hard because you do walk this really fine line for a story like this where you want to give people information and you want to give them information that is accurate and that is up to date. But at the same time, sometimes those day to day updates kind of you lose the forest through the trees and it can mm-hmm. feel really confusing for people like masks or not masks or this or that or like, you know, whatever it is. And I think it's also hard when you add on top of that, a like highly polarized, you know, population politically. And then also a 
frankly, like extremely chaotic response from the people in charge. Right. I think it's really hard to do a good job (laughs) covering all of that. And so I don't know. I mean, I want to say that we could have done worse. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which I mean, yeah, I I think it's hard, you know. I I don't know. I don't know. And I think that's the kind of thing that in like two years, we might be able to better look back and be like, okay, here's what we did well. And here's what we really didn't do well. And I think that conversation is ongoing, right? All of Mm -hmm. the news about different variants in different places. Like, how do you cover that in a way that feels responsible, but also useful to people? I, I think it's just really hard. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's the thing that really is so helpful about Ed's writing is when he's doing the thing that you were talking about, when he's synthesizing this very, all this messy information and the ongoing nature of the fact that this is not a discrete thing that's over and done with quickly, that this is going to have ramifications for so long to come. Even though we're not in control of the situation, having someone like him to analyze it, to synthesize it in that way, it is, at least for me, it is calming. It It, it is, it brings my stress level down just to have some sort of sense of just like step back what is the forest uh, to, to use your metaphor from earlier you, you also in your email to me you described him as incredibly kind and generous has he gone above and beyond to help you in some way oh yeah i mean i think ed is like just one of those people where it's almost like annoying how nice he is and also talented you're like you should <laughs> you should not be allowed to have all these things right like, how dare you sir how, dare, how you, right? dare you exactly yeah i mean he's always been really supportive of all the work i've done he's been a huge champion of flash forward he blurbed the flash forward book you know when i was a couple of years ago i had a couple of you know hiccups with like ad sales on the show and blah 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 and i was kind of like i don't maybe i should just like do something else like yeah i was like maybe whatever and he was like no no, no like this like this is worth doing. You know, he's always been really, really kind to me and encouraging and supportive. It's like small stuff, but it makes a huge difference to like have someone who also someone who I like greatly respect their work be like, no, no, you're doing something good. I'm like, well, if Ed says it's good, then it's good. (laughs) That must be good. Right. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, that was Ed Young, who's on Twitter at EdYoung209. It's Final Friday. We have time for one more follow today. Rose, I asked you for someone you followed forever, and you said Liz Neely, who's on Twitter at Liz Neely, and Neely is spelled N-E-E-L-E-Y. She's the founder and CEO of the strategy and consulting firm Liminal Creations, and incidentally, she's also married to none other than Ed Young. So, in your email to me, you said that uh, you've been really honored to know her for a while and watch her come into her own. Uh, could you explain that? Like, how did you meet her and how has her star risen over time? Yeah, I met Liz many years ago when I was first getting started in sort of like science journalism. And she was working with an organization called Compass, and they were doing these trainings to kind of help scientists learn how to talk to journalists and also learn how to like, tell their story, right? Not just do interviews, but also kind of like go give talks that are like personal and and sort of like, I don't want to call it media training. It is technically media training, but in a way that isn't just like, here's what you have to memorize to say the thing that like, whatever, not the kind where you're like annoyed when you get someone you're like, oh God, you've been through the media training. Mm. Um, I was just starting out. She had helped create this program at Compass and she invited me to come and be kind of like one of the journalists for the scientists to talk to. And it was just a really cool experience to kind of see 
have honest conversations with scientists about like what they're nervous about when they talk to journalists, right? Like understand how like I can be a better journalist and also how they can kind of like understand what I do. And then after that, she became the executive director of the Story Collider, which is an organization that does sort of a similar type of thing, teaching scientists, but not always scientists, teaching people and helping people tell stories about science, whether that's a scientist or just a regular person, because we all have stories about science in some way or another. And she did incredible work there. And now she's like got her own thing that is like this incredible consulting business um, that everyone should hire if you have any like need to tell stories of any kind. And the thing that Liz does so well that I'm just so impressed by is that when you start looking into like the science of storytelling or sort of storytelling training, there's just a lot of people out there who will like say whatever, right? Like there's Mm -hmm. just, they're like, it's very easy to be like an expert in this field. Sure. But Liz knows all of the research, like the actual research and like the neuroscience of storytelling, the actual things that work, like what the data says about what happens when you do like narrative transportation, like all this stuff. And much like Ed, she's the only one that I've ever met who's been able to synthesize across all these different disciplines and actually have kind of a data driven approach to this very sort of like artistic process in a way that is both art and science in kind of the best possible combination. And she's so good at both. Um, Similarly, like unfair, but she is so good at so many different things. And I just like have really enjoyed watching her kind of like take all of this stuff and create this kind of worldview and strategy and curriculum and sort of like way of talking about it that is so strong and so convincing and like everyone would do better, like better in their lives if they just like took one class with Liz, I feel. <laughs> it's, it's so fascinating. So this is something as a non-scientist that I hadn't really considered, but it's sort of like everyone else is asking scientists to speak their language and Liz is bilingual. She, she's, she's in bo- she speaks both fluently. She's able to go back and forth, yes. which is helpful for, for educating. That's, that's so fascinating. I don't want to give away all of her secrets that she shares with her clients, but do you remember any of the things that she says scientists are afraid of when it comes to dealing with the media, like things things that they uh, don't understand or that, they're, that, they're, that they worry about? Yeah, I mean, I think that this is like, you know, I don't know if this is something that Liz said specifically, but I know that when I would do those courses and sort of help scientists, I think it's like... Like anything, you know, it's easy to forget as a journalist that like the way that the media works is very opaque to most people. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we know like, oh, okay, like most of us don't write our own headlines or like here's the process. And like some places fact check and some places don't. When you're on the outside of it, you're just like, I don't know. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) how would I know? And there are, are like plenty of journalists who aren't very good at covering science and who will write articles that like aren't right and that make the scientists seem like they're saying something they're not. And so I totally get it that scientists feel burned sometimes and sometimes they get burned and like that's bad and that should not happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that some of what we I would talk to them about is like how to vet a journalist, frankly, like how do you know that this person's worth talking to? Right. And like read their work, like make sure that that when you read it, you're like, yeah, yeah, that seems good. They're not exaggerating. They're not. Yeah. You can ask them like even just saying like you can ask them what their process is. You can ask Mm -hmm. them if they're going to fact check like and that was like. Scientists were like, you, I can ask them questions. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> you can. Please do. Right? Yeah. Right. So like I think that um, just like kind of helping clarify kind of how journalism works um, in a lot of these cases and sort of like why we can't show you quotes before we publish most of the time and explaining why that is and sort of like talking through like what the process is going to be. That was, I think, 
quite helpful for a lot of people because much like, you know, I don't know how to do a study on the brain. Like, I don't know how that works. They don't know how a story gets put together. Like, and it's sort of like helpful to walk them through it. That's so, yeah, that's so helpful just because like at a time of really heightened distrust in the media, if, if at least some people, if, if at least a couple more people are able to trust the the process, so to speak. Have you ever seen, there's a, there's a Twitter account, I think it's called like In Mice. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's it's where it, it, it's bad science journalism where it's some headline about like you know coffee cures cancer and then 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 it be, it's like some some small study where it's only effective in mice and the headline has curiously chosen to leave that out. <laughs> yes, yes, headlines are I think the bane of many journalists' uh, lives. Right, that like often you don't pick them, but you get resp- you're held responsible for them. Absolutely. But yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And that's a good one. It's a good account. Well, bonus recommendation for you there in mice. (laughs) That was Liz Neely, who's on Twitter at Liz Neely. Rose, thank you so much for sharing these recommendations with us. Uh, Before we go, I want to make sure the listeners know how to find you online. Where do you want them to follow you? Ooh, okay. I am on Twitter at Rose Eveleth. Um, I am the only Rose Eveleth on the internet. So if you Google me, you will find me for better or for worse, <laughs> right? Like there's no hiding. Um, some days that's good. Some days I'm just like, I would like to not be perceived quite so much. Uh, so yes, Rose Eveleth on Twitter. And Twitter is where I like am loud and have lots of opinions. I'm also on Instagram, which is more like, here's my pottery. <laughs> like, here's, you know, like my weird hobbies and stuff. Um, and so that's where you can find me. You can also find Flash Forward, the podcast, wherever you're listening to this podcast. And that is where you can find that. And if you want more about Flash Forward, it's flashforwardpod.com. And do you also want to plug um, advice for and from the future? Yes, it's on hiatus right now because I am doing a bunch of other things. But I also have a show that is about advice for and from the future, which is called Advice for and from the Future. Um, And every episode is a question that people have about the future or maybe when they're in the future, they're like, I have a problem that I need help solving. And uh, it's like a little bit of an interview. And then there's always a little bit of a surprise coda at the end. I love, I love the, that concept. It's so great. You can follow me on Twitter at HeyHeyESJ and this show on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Follow Friday Pod. And of course, please follow or subscribe to Follow Friday in your podcast app to get more interviews like this one every week. Follow Friday's theme music was written by me and performed by Yona Marie. Our show art was illustrated by Dodie Hermawan. Additional music by Purple Planet Music. That's all for this week. This is Eric Johnson reminding you to talk about people behind their backs. And when you do, say something nice. See you next Friday.